Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing today? So this morning, we're going to have a little fun before I get deep inside. Everybody like my Spider-Man bubbles? You didn't know this, that I was going to bring up bubbles today. We're going to have a big worship service with bubbles going on. It almost matches my Captain America socks, but not quite. Um, But my question this morning, my question for us is how much force does a bubble hit the floor with? Anybody know? I mean, I don't know the exact measurements. Like, I don't know if you can actually measure that. But if I told you I was going to drop something on your face, would you rather it be a bubble or a rock? Like, let's be, yeah, a bubble. Because, I mean, look, they kind of go with the wind, and then they just kind of hit and bounce and go off. There's, there's purpose to this. Just join, trust me right now. Now i got bubbles flying all around me. Um, just trust me on this, because on this, um, I'm going to show you a picture right now. This is called a very large array. Like, it's kind of a simple picture. It's a simple word, I guess, to describe this. This is in the state of New Mexico. Anybody ever seen this before? This is 27 telescopes, radio telescopes put together, and they form a massive telescope. So each individual one is actually in an in a array in order to make a big telescope. The purpose behind this. So there's 27 25-meter telescopes here. 25 meters is about 82 feet. We we hear 25 meters, we think of the 30-meter telescope that they were going to build on Mauna Kea. So that's some correlation. Each one of these jokers weighs 230 tons. There's 36 miles of railway in order to... So what these do actually is they can expand them to make them at the size of Washington, D.C. So it would be a telescope the size of Washington, D.C. when they're extended all the way out. This project in 1980, when it was completed, cost $78.5 million. So they have been recording data from outer space since 1980. And statistics show that that the force of that bubble hitting the ground is greater than than all the energy they've received since 1980. So for $78 that has received less energy than the bubble hitting the ground up here. So you see, as... As explorers, we're so ancient. We want to hear from the outer realm so much, we will go to extreme measures. Like this. $78 million. Today, that would probably cost like the $7 billion on the railway in in Honolulu. But but like $78 million to build this, and it's only received enough energy as a bubble hitting the ground. So, as you know, we're studying through the book of Mark, yeah? And as we study through the book of Mark, we're going verse by verse through the, through, uh, we're an expository church. And so we're going verse by verse through the book of Mark. And we're actually going to get to, to study today about hearing from God. We're going to study prayer and getting to hear from the outer realms. That's why I thought this was so important. And so if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. But on the background of this text, I want to cover a couple things before 
before we read. You, last week, we remember that was a healing sermon, and we called everybody up, and we anointed them with oil, if you were here last week, or that was my southern accent, oil, as, as I get scolded every day here. It's oil, guys. Sorry. Um, but we, we anointed with oil and, and representation of the Holy Spirit. But in that study, we saw that Jesus was in a town called Capernaum, and he preached in the synagogues, and then he went and healed. So that's, that's where we come to now. We're actually, that day has ended, and now we're on the next immediate day. So if you could st- stand with me right now in the reading of God's Word, we're going to read Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. This is what Scripture says. <clears throat> And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I might preach there also, for that is why I have come out. And he went, uh, he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. You may be seated. Lord, give us the words today. Lord, may it not be my words that they hear, that anybody hear. May it be your words pressed out of me, Lord. May, you, may the Holy Spirit in this room quicken people's ears to hear what, I, what you have to say, Lord. Lord, and may most of all I be faithful to your text this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. So out of this passage, I want to I look at two keys to success in the Christian life. Because in this passage, Jesus shows us two main things that he does. And so if Jesus does it, how much more important is it for us to do it? So like I just said, Jesus was in a town called Capernaum on the Sabbath where he was healing people, preaching in uh, synagogues. And, and then actually went to his mother-in-law's house and kind of messed up his mother-in-law and invited the whole town to her house. So they partied all night and fellowshiped and healed people. But then the next day, we see what was really important to Jesus. And the first key to the success, number one is prayer. Prayer was, in, uh, prayer was his power. You see, the next morning, he got up early, as verse 35 says, rising very early in the morning. You see, prayer is a personal communication with God. So I got a question. My, my wife cannot answer this because sometimes I do this, and I'm sorry, honey. But if we come home from work, if guys, if you come home from work and all you say is, this is what I need, this is what I need to your wife, how is she going to treat you that day? Yeah, you're going to get ignored. You're going to go to the doghouse, 100% guaranteed. Wives, when you come home and tell your husbands, oh, this is all my problems that I have, and just shut off there, what happens? More problems. Communication's broken. You see, prayer is personal communication with God. So we would never say if... If I just went home and told Sarah all my problems, we had good communication. Or if she only told me her needs, 
and I never talked to her, we would have a good communication relationship. See, prayer is, when we, when we have godly prayer, it's an open line of communication. It's not a, this is my list of needs, or this is my list of wants. I, I want a house, I want a Ferrari, I want a million dollars, and I want an NFL team to come to Hawaii so I don't have to go to church and can go to the, the games every Sunday. Like, we use that as a genie to get what we want, but prayer is actually a personal line of communication. So I want to I wanna see us, I want us to look at three things Mark shows us about Jesus' intentionality here. The first one we see, we see a time of day that Jesus went and prayed. It says, Jesus went early before the sun was up. I remember what it was like not to have to get up before the sun was up. College wasn't that long ago for me. And now every, every day I'm up before the sun. But that doesn't mean I'm up for the right reasons before the sun. You see, Jesus calls us to go every morning before the mercy seat of God. Before we go through the rough parts of the day, before we have struggles with personal relationships, with co-workers, with, with junk at work, Jesus calls us to go to him, to go to him in prayer. Listen to this. Because this is important. Because this, this jacked me this week. Prayer should not be a matter of personal convenience, but a self-discipline and a sacrifice. You hear that? Prayer should not be a matter of self, a self, of self-convenience, of personal convenience. What does that mean? Prayer should not be, oh, I'll just pray on my way to work. Or I'll just pray when I get to work. Or when I'll find time, I'll pray. Even though God calls us to pray without ceasing. God calls us to pray at all times. But yet, there's still a time that we need to set aside to go before the throne of God before everything else. You see, prayer is costly. Let's look at Jesus' example here. The greatest thing I... One of the things that rocked me when I first started doing this, when I first got up here on stage, is I've heard pastors, many of pastors before me, and preachers say, this drains you. I, I think there's very few people in this room that know how much this drains you. R.C. Sproul did a study. He's a, he's a well-known pastor, teacher. R.C. Sproul did a study, and he said that when you preach a normal-length message, which means not my record of 102 minutes, but a normal length message with normal emotion, it's like working an eight-hour day of manual labor. That is how much you're drained to the bottom. And if we look at Jesus' example, he preached in the synagogues, and then he healed. He healed people, and then he cast out demons, and then he fellowshiped. So if we look at Jesus' example, he was completely drained. They stayed up late past the Sabbath, which was past sundown. 
And how much more would healing be? If you had a whole town of people, let's think of Hilo right now, or let's think of our surrounding area. If they came to this door to be healed, and somebody had the power of healing here this morning, how much would they be drained after three or four guys, or three or four girls? Jesus was completely drained. But he woke up early. He woke up early the next morning because it was that important to him. I'm going to tell you something. Tomorrow, after I preach on Sunday, I hit the snooze button about ten times before I have to go up, get up. That's my fleshly desire wants to, to sleep longer. But we don't see that in Jesus. So my question for us, are we less effective in our walk with Christ, in our ministry to the city, because of the lack of self-discipline? Are we less effective because we say, no, I don't want to get up early and pray. I don't want to spend that time. I mean, he was with fishermen. Those jokers wake up at like four to go fish. So he must have been up earlier than that. So do we value our walk with God, or are we okay with being okay? Because Kahuzik even said it to me this week. How's your prayer life? Many of you have probably heard that. If you've got problems in your life, and you go to him for counsel, he says, how's your prayer life? Because that's directly connected to that. So the question is, do we value our time over God? Do we value not waking up at 4 a.m. or 3 a.m., however early you have to wake up, over time with God? Do we value that sleep? Because at the end of our lives, we're going to walk before the judgment seat of God, even as Christians, and he's going to say, how did you walk? How was the race you ran? Well, I value that sleep is not what we want to say. Pretty much, if we're stuck in the same rut over and over and over again, it says we don't care about our spiritual life with God. That's hard to say. That's hard to hear. Because, but we, sometimes it's, we suck because we just don't care. We don't value that time. Number two, we see a specific place that God. It's called a desolate place. Three times in the book of Mark, it's already been used. Another word for it is desert. We see it um, where John preached in the wilderness. It was a desolate place. When Jesus was tempted, it was a desolate place. And here now, it's a desolate, desolate place. What does that mean? I'm not telling you to go up to Mauna Kea where there's no life for 800 miles or whatever it is up there. Or Mauna Loa. But it's a word related to the Old Testament story of the Israelites in the wilderness. It was a time where they were together, but they were isolated. They were not fully 
engulfed where they were supposed to be. You see, sometimes we have to pull away like this. I think it's important for us to pull away like this because we live in a microwave society. That's what I'm going to start calling it. We like things now. Think about it. We like our food now. How many apps can you order food on? We ordered McDonald's this morning off of an app. You can go to Starbucks and order off an app. We want it, as soon as we walk in the door, we want to walk back out because it's already paid for and made. We want our news now. How many of us have news apps on our phone? <coughs> Twitter, it was formed for this. We want our love now. That's why, that's why there's so many children born with high school parents. Fornication, adultery. We want love now. We don't want to wait the time God has allowed for us to wait. We want our toys now. That's why there's credit cards. Shoot, just a couple of weeks ago, the president texted all of us because radio was too slow. You see, we love to control things. We want things on our time. We are a controlling society. I like to be in charge of my friends. I like to, so if you're not, remember MySpace? Who was cool enough to have MySpace back in the day? Your top eight friends that switched all the time? And if you're really cool, Tom was number one? Like, I think that was his name. I forget his name. But like, we like to control what's in our lives. But you see, when we go desolate place, when we go to a desolate place, we get pulled out of that control. When I think of desolate, I was, I was writing this sermon at my house this week. We have two empty lots across the street. I was, I was just looking. I was like, you look over there. If you strip all your control, you leave your cell phone at your house, you leave and just take the, the word of God, yourself and go meet with God one-on-one -on -one in that place. What control do you have? Can you tell that al al albizia tree to stop growing? You don't have control. Or can you go to the ocean? We, we used to always go to the ocean for quiet times and when we brought missionaries. Can you tell the ocean, like, I've been boogie boarding once in my life since I've been here. And I got flipped three times and I was like, eh. I was under the water and I was like, please help me. And I was like, I'm done over after this. But can you tell that next wave to stop so I can get up? You're out of control. I mean, you're out of what you can control. The volcano. Could you tell the lava where to go? Many people were trying, but they, it wasn't successful. You see, when you step out and you get desolate, you get one-on-one -on -one with God, you realize how much little control you actually have. It puts you in a place of vulnerability where we can be honest. You see, a desolate place also allows us to digest. We come here. Look, I'm going to tell you, one of my favorite places in the mainland was buffets. Here it's just freaking expensive to go out to eat the buffet. 
But man, this figure costs a lot of buffets, some time and energy. But you see, the beauty of buffets is that you can't take anything home with you. You got to eat it all there. So you pack like you starve yourself for like three days, and you're like, oh, I'm about to eat good. And then as kids, we would walk out with napkins full of candy from the ice cream machines. I don't know if y'all had that, but M&Ms melted in your pockets on the way back home from vacation. Do you see, but buffets, we, there's got to be time to digest. So when we come, specifically on Sundays, if we come on Sundays and get the Word of God and we, di- and we intake it, but we don't digest it, what happens? It turns to rubbish. It turns to rubbish. Or if I took that plate home from wherever nice restaurant and I was planning on eating it, what I was thinking about doing was bringing a week old crab legs in here, but I wasn't, I wasn't about that life. <laughs> but if we don't take time to set aside, to digest what we intake, it's going to turn to rubbish. See, and that's what I think desolate places do. When we read scripture, we got to intake it. It's not a, um, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right, there's my verse. I'm gone. Like, that's not how we should treat this. This is not how we should treat the Word of God. We've got to have time to digest it. We have to have time, as I said before, to communicate with God. See, when we go to desolate places, it's a time for us to be honest and vulnerable. It says, I don't have it all in control, but I'm going to wait and listen and hear from you. My plan's not working. I've screwed up too many times. My life's a wreck. I'm trying to take your word in, but it's not doing anything. I don't take anything from it. I read three chapters a day, but I listen to it on the way to work. We got we to gotta make time for God to be God. Here's a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Nothing teaches us about the precious, preciousness of the Creator as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else. So when we go to that desolate place, we learn what we control is empty. Our iPhone, whatever the newest iPhone is, 20, whatever, it's not going to be with us. It's empty. And more than likely, it's going to be outdated in a year. And we'll want the newest toy. Which brings us to our last, uh, last thing Mark shows us about Jesus' intentionality. It's a purpose. It's a purpose. All right. This blew me away right here. Mark, Mark records three times in his gospel, Jesus praying. It's only three. It's here is number one, after he healed on the Sabbath. Another time is after feeding of the 5,000 and at Gethsemane, right before he was about to go onto the cross. All of them were at night in solitary places. 
You think Mark's trying to tell us something here? <clears throat> this one jacked me. It all occurred with opposition to Jesus' ministry. We know Gethsemane. He was about to be betrayed and about to be crucified. The feeding of the 5,000, he had people following him, trying to, trying to work miracles for their gain. And here, we see Peter. we got to love Peter because most of us are like Peter. Or want to be like Peter. We see this in verses 36 and 37. And Simon and those who were with him, Simon is also named Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. You see, Peter's heart is for ministry. Peter's heart wants to see people healed, like we talked about last week. He wants the good of the city, but Peter's heart was also thought it was a physical kingdom and not a spiritual kingdom. You follow me? He thought that Jesus was here to build a physical empire, and so what better way to do that than to heal all the people in one city? Then they could rise that city up and take over other cities. You see, right here, when he said, um, search for him, also can be said as seeking. It connotes, it connotes an attempt to determine and control. Listen, Peter was trying to control Jesus by finding him. Peter was searching out for Jesus because he wants his name to be great. I want to control you because it's for our gain. That's how Peter would have said it. I don't care what you want. Everybody's looking for you. My mother would say, where are you at? And that's not where I told you to be. I told you tomorrow we're going to do this. Why did you run off? Here it would be, where you stay? Where are you at? See, I pick up on these things. Listen, Peter was trying to control um, rather than see, uh, submit and follow. Jesus calls us to submit and follow him. Peter was trying to control him. In this respect, seeking for Jesus is not a virtue in the Gospel of Mark. You hear that? Because this, this will change our outlook on the rest of the Gospel of Mark. Seeking for Jesus is not a virtue in the Gospel of Mark, nor clamoring clouds a sign of success or aid to the ministry. Here, as elsewhere in Mark, enthusiasm is not to be confused with faith. Indeed, it can oppose faith. Listen to me. Don't let enthusiasm on Sunday morning confuse you with faith. Don't let the experience of the worship music, of the, of the atmosphere, confuse yourself with faith. Peter here was using Jesus for his own gain. Let us not be people that use Jesus for our own gain. Wow. 
You see, Peter was in the wrong here. Peter was in the wrong. And it was all for the, under the title of ministry. Peter wanted to do ministry. Jesus wanted to do ministry, but they didn't align. Because one, one of them had intimacy with the Father and the other one didn't. So here's our reality truth statement right now. Good things can hold you back from great things. Good things can hold you back from great things. I'm not meaning this in a prosperity mindset. So what am I not saying? I'm not saying to trade in your 95 car for a 2015 car in the name of Jesus, okay? But in the, for the sake of ministry, this right here we believe is 100% Word of God. But people can idolize this, and a good thing can get in the way of great things. This is only a, the Word of God is to point us with an intimate love relationship with God. How do we do that? Through the Word of God. But don't make this the end goal. Listen to this quote by Tim Keller. <clears throat> Prayer is the only entryway into a genuine self-knowledge. It is also the main way we experience deep change, the reordering of our loves. So that means things need to be prioritized in our lives. Prayer is how God gives us so many of the unimaginable things he has for us. Indeed, prayer makes it safe for God to give us many of the things we, de we most desire. Are you lacking in what you desire? It is the way we know God, the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in our life. Prayer is the key. Listen to this. John 1, 1 through 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was God. In the beginning, with, uh, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything, ma uh, not anything made that was made. Yeah, he is talking about Jesus. Here, listen to this. Our biblical truth. He can do all things by speaking a word. But he is committed to a life of prayer. He can do anything he wants by speaking a word. He called out and the stars hung in the sky. He called out and he told, hey, ocean, stop right here on Bayfront. And it listened. But, but Jesus is still committed to prayer. He's committed to a life of prayer. So how much more should we be? If Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the sovereign God of the universe, the creator of all things, the ones that knit together us in our mother's womb, he's committed to a life of prayer. Shouldn't we be? So listen to this. This is the achievement of this type of prayer life. 
Number one, it's a place of repentance. Jesus never sinned. He didn't need to repent. But guess what? He showed us an example of it. He knew we would need it. It's a place of restoration, number two. It's a place of restoration. So that means we should confess our sin and then listen to God to restore us. Because every once in a while, actually all the time, i got to get it pie and then I get lomi lomi back to Jesus. Jesus has to comfort me. i got to be restored because of the sin that I've put into my life. It's a, finally, it's a place of fellowship with God. You see, all three of these things we need desperately in our lives. And most of the time, the problems that come out of our lives is a direct correlation to one of these three things. You don't have a place of repentance. There's not a place of restoration and a place of fellowship with God in our lives. So as we leave the prayer, prayer is his power. Listen to this statement. Jesus cannot extend himself outward in compassion without first attending to the source of his mission and purpose with the Father. And conversely, his oneness with the Father compels him to live, compels him outward in missions. You hear that? Jesus cannot extend himself outward in compassion without first attending to the source of his mission. He cannot do ministry without prayer. He cannot do life without being one with the Father. But being one in the Father extends him outwards. Which leads us to number two. Preaching is his purpose. Look at the following verses. And he said to them, Let us go to the next town so that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Here's a quote by A.W. Tozer. The whole work of God in redemption is to undo the tragic effects of the foul revolt and to bring us back again into the right and eternal relationship with himself. You see, before I go there, Jesus' ministry is not simply uh, of what he does for humanity. Listen to this. Because Christianity likes to point this thing out. Jesus' ministry is not all about what he did for humanity. But it's also who he is in relation to his Father. Jesus, the one crucified, the one we point to, for the hope of Christianity, the hope of eternal glory, the one that came down in deity to this earth to live a life we couldn't. His ministry is not simply what he did for us, but it's also who he was in relation to his Father. He was a part of the Trinity here on this earth. He had divine relationship with his Father. but he still had to get that one-on-one time in his humanity. 
See, here Jesus left what most Christians would call a godly work. It would be godly to heal all these people in Capernaum. But it's not the, the work the Father wanted him to do. All right, here's a hard truth for us. Because this jacked me up all week. Because we had a special time last week with the healing service. Amen? We had a great time with the healing service last week. And prayer and fast. I think the Holy Spirit moved last week. But if Jesus' purpose on this earth was to heal everybody, it would be done. His goal in life is not to cure cancer. His goal in not life is not to, to cure heart disease or, or whatever element we have. His goal in life is to give glory to the Father. His goal in life is to make much of the kingdom of God among the nations. And sometimes it's hard to hear that. But we got to be desperate on God through our elements, whatever that is. Whatever life throws our way, we've got to be desperate on God. That's what he's saying here. Be intimate with me. William McDonald says this, the healing miracles, while intended to relieve human misery, was also designed to gain, to gain purpose, no, to gain attention for, uh, for his preaching. The healing miracles, while intended to relieve human misery, were also designed to gain attention for his preaching. Healing the sick was not his end goal. Preaching was. And too many times we get that backwards. We think it's okay to come to church while we're sick and pray and ask for prayer, but once you're well, you leave. That's not the end goal of Christ. You see, the end goal of Christ was to make much of God the Father. And see, also in this passage, Jesus points out a couple things. It's not about a single location. It's not about Hilo. It's not about Capernaum. It's about the nations. It's about the nations of God, the nations of this earth coming to face to face with God. You see, to sum this all up, it's on the screen. The goal of Christianity is not is intimacy, not ministry. We get that, I get that backwards all the time. I bet if you ask most people on staff, we get that backwards most of the time. The overflow of intimacy is ministry. That's what Jesus taught us here. If not, he would have still stayed in Capernaum and healed. But God the Father said, no. You must go among the cities of your area and preach the gospel. So this is how we're going to end. Two ways we're going to end. The, we, the reason we are not growing, the reason the way we are the way we are, is because we stopped doing ministry. And it's not just the kahus that are responsible for ministry. We're in this together. This is a fight of, of brothers and sisters of faith. But what does that tell us? That tells us there's no ministry because there's no personal growth. There's no growth in our hearts. 
And there's no growth because there's no prayer time. There's no time alone spent with God that's, that's intentional about what we talked about today. So how we're going to end, I want us to commit to prayer. That's, that's it. Like I want us, we're going to sing, but I want us to sit here and commit ourselves to prayer. Before Ohana Church is known for anything else, a worship team, whatever, whatever God blesses us with. A new building here. I want us to be a church of prayer. Because we used to be. We used to meet every morning at 8.30 at the bus stop. That's how this, that's how this fellowship started. But I want us to go back to that. Because ministry can sometimes lose sight of what's most important. Good things can stop the great things from happening. So that's what I want us to do. As, as Sarah and them come to sing, I want us to commit ourselves to be a, a people of prayer. And I want us to be a people of prayer, not just praying of compassion. Because there's two different types of prayer. I got, oh, I'm telling you, I, this preached to me this week. There's two different types of people of prayer. People that use the excuse, I'll pray for you because they don't want to commit to you. I do not want to be a, let us be that type of church. I want us to pray expecting God's going to do something. Amen? We're going to be a people of prayer that expect God to move. And when, when God moves, we're going to be there to help. Whatever prayer this is, prayer for family members, prayers for any, any avenue in your life, we want to be there to help you. So secondly, secondly, how I want us to respond. Our staff's praying today. Our staff is going to pray. So if you have prayer requests, I know last week was a, a lot of people came up front. There's connection cards out throughout, but there's also on the version app, prayer requests. You can go on there, fill it out, and we are going to pray for you today. And we're going to expect God to move in you today. So as, as the singers come and lead us in worship, that's our two things. Fill out prayer requests and then also commit to God that